I think it just comes down to the use case as well, like how complex it is and where there would be an engagement with the human, no matter what. Totally agreed on that part. Now, I think we touched about the large language models as we were speaking. But as you look into the large language models like GPT-4, Llamas, or many others like BARD, what potential do you see in their future iterations? And if you may have a thought around, what do you think the next advancements in this area might look like, purely to kind of enable customer experiences beyond? I think that the ability to really look at the amount of data that we have and really start to ingest that data, I think part of the reason that we haven't been more customer or employee centric is that in order to do that, so part of its executive mindset is that we want to do that and we really care. And this is a priority. And then the ease at which that customer feedback can be ingested and analyzed and given back in a concise summary so that now we can make strategic decisions. And we can start to model how does the change in those strategic decisions affect the bottom line? How does it change average handle time? How does it change FCR? So I think the connection is going to be the advancement of the models as they get smarter and smarter and the ability we're training them. And the more data that we give them, the more intelligent they become. And as we do that, I think part of this process to really pay attention to and where the experimentation and the challenge comes from is really paying attention to, as we feed it that data, what didn't we know that we didn't know? And as the machines get smarter and smarter, we also need to be understanding what it's revealing to us about what we didn't know. I think where technology really becomes applicable is when we start to figure out How does it apply? So, so many times what I see in technology is a product in search of a solution. Produce it because it's cool, but why? Deep down, why do we care, right? And from a pure technical engineering geeky side, right? It's cool. And it does something we've never been able to do before. And it's fast, incredibly fast. I mean, part of the my own personal realization of wow, this is an exponential, not just a step change, but this is exponentially faster and smarter and better than anything we've ever had to date. So part of that is that personal realization. And then where I think, because a lot of people talk about technology taking our jobs, I think those of us in this field, we're the real utilization of a traditional CX person or employee experience HR is going to be in understanding the technology, what it can do for us, and then beginning to extrapolate how it can be applied. And it's in the application that I believe, not the magical thinking, but the magic is going to happen. And so for CEOs or CHROs, people who are looking at talent, I think we're looking for a different kind of CX person. We're looking for a different kind of engineer. Right? We're looking at someone who can help the machine be applied in a smarter way. And as we apply it in a smarter way, the machine gets smarter, but we have to keep up with what the machine is showing us it can do. And so I believe that it's really going to change the nature of roles and work, and it's going to change the nature of what it means to be in the customer experience 
world. Like if you're not on chat GBT or, or one of the, the models out there really need to jump on and ask it to plan a vacation to Italy and learn, like you'll hear this term prompt strategies. Someone had said, if you were advising CEOs, what do you think their biggest blind spots are around AI and what advice would you give them? And so I thought, well, let me ask ChatGPT. And so it came back with some really interesting points. And so I was like, okay, and I hadn't thought about that. So then I was able to apply all the years of things I've learned about technology, about people, about organizational change, about resistance to change, about mindset, perspective, leadership skills, and take the information the machine gave me and then add the color, which is where the application comes from. So the machine can spit out a whole bunch of points, which are great. But now how do we take that and we make it real for someone else? And I think that's the next level of advancement is really us learning from the machine and the machine learning from us. And when we take that and we really combine that, right, the more intelligent we are about using the machine, the better our prompts and our input and the way that we're using it improves because we're really training it. I mean, if you think about a washboard stomach, if you want a washboard stomach, then you have to do sit-ups. But if you don't train, you're not going to get there. So AI is not exactly like doing sit-ups, but in the same way, we have to have some discipline and some doing it because we want an outcome. I mean, and at the same time, there's things that we don't know, right? So there is some aspect of large language models and the technology that is a bit of a black box. And so depending on what model you're using, there's some things that we don't know that we don't know. True. Yeah, it's just getting trained continuously to kind of enhance the model itself so that it can give back better answers. I think that's what when I was talking about it, like we took the journey a long time back with dynamic NLP and then built our own large language models. I think one of the key things we are de- able to deliver is this whole prompt-based dynamic chat where you just write the prompts, you don't even drag and drop or you create a workflow. The workflows are created dynamically on its own based just on the prompt. So when we talk about this, analysts and others are like, okay, how did you guys even go that far? Because we were looking at the experiences and talking to customers a lot and we figured out the pattern that we kind of, for a specific industry, write prompts like these and then make it very use case specific to the customer. We're seeing tremendous amount of results. That includes context. To your point, like if you're planning a vacation in Florida, the dynamic chat is like so powerful and it's out of the box, which means you spend zero time to set up. But you're asking, hey, I need to find a hotel near the sea beach in Miami. So that's first part of the context. So it shows you the hotel straight away. And then the second thing you could say is, oh, but I'm also traveling with my dog. And now the bot is able to now reply back because of this prompt-based dynamic chat that, oh, yeah, you can find these hotels near the beach in Miami, which is pet-friendly. So I think that's where, you know, do what you just said, I'm just trying to validate that with your experiences, if you're saying so, some of the things we're doing it, and I think customers are seeing the value straight away. They feel that experience has gone better. So I just want to add to that. But I'm glad that, you know, as, as a company, what we are trying to build is aligned to how you were trying to explain it. So, you know, this is really, really good to hear and big validation. 
On the second part, Natalie, here is the what advice do you generally give or have for businesses that are just beginning to incorporate AI? I mean, not only just generative AI, but AI into their customer service operations, especially in regards to maintaining a very empathetic approach. What are the success criteria they should look at and what sort of strategy they should build around so that you know they are ahead of the game with their competition? I think, again, it goes back to what are you trying to accomplish? So if you're trying to increase the ability to self-serve, so then you want to start to look at, so what kind of chatbots could you deliver that could really provide context? And some of that is the ability to do predictive analytics. So let's say you're interacting with a chatbot on a website and let's say you're logged in so you're authenticated so they can see your previous history data and you're kind of wandering around a website, you are shopping, then you put something in your shopping cart and then now you're looking at frequently asked questions. At some point in that customer journey map, if the technology can start to map where I am in the journey and it can see that I've now stopped my shopping experience and I'm going to ask questions, learning to figure out when do you pop up a chat, right? So there's lots of times you go to a website and you land on the website and it says, how can I help you? Well, you're like, I don't really need help yet because I haven't figured out what I'm doing. So timing for popping up a chatbot is really important. So it's important to be helpful, but it's also important not to be annoying. And so looking at that customer journey and the customer journey analytics, and then figuring out where in the process is it most helpful to offer a chat? And then can that chatbot take into consideration historical buying patterns? Is this something new? Where am I? What frequently asked question am I looking at in the FAQs? What products am I looking at? And then the bot could come back and say, hey, Nat, are you looking at this particular product? Do you have a question? You're looking at the FAQ. So I think that kind of intelligence is now possible and really fun. And I think that's how you're going to build trust with customers is when the technology actually delivers something that the customer is, oh, wow, like kind of a wow experience. And that was really helpful. And even though there's like some people I've talked to are like, isn't that kind of creepy and big brotherish? In some ways it is, but I think in the end of the day, if it's really helpful to the customer and it doesn't feel like you're being spied on so you can have some gigantic big upsell cross-sell, and it's more like maybe a little bit of a recommendation engine, if you like this, then you might take a look at that. Then I think, again, it goes back to this concept of really serving the customer. Absolutely. Wow. You're awesome, Natalie. Just I can just go on listening to it. It's just like, you know, golden words to the ears. <laughs> Music. Absolutely. This is amazing. Okay. Two more questions before we finish this. One is, I think you touched upon it a bit. What role do you see generative AI playing in the future of work, particularly in customer service and support? And how can businesses really best prepare for this, especially if they have to stay ahead in the curve and the rapidly evolving field, it's becoming very competitive for them as well. Like customers we talk to, we definitely know that they're here to solve for some of not only just the mundane tasks, but also complex scenarios on self-serve so that they can really get the customers excited and give them the wow experience and satisfaction. 
and then wherever need be an escalation to the agent. Any thoughts on this precisely, where it's heading and how businesses can stay ahead, keeping generative AI in mind? So I would say part of it is in terms of the employee experience. And I think this comes from the top CEO level, that the CEO becomes a champion of generative AI and says, we as a company are going to use this. And then I think, because what I love about chat GPT and, and BARD and those kinds of applications is because the user interface gives those of us who are not programmers the opportunity to interact with a large language model and generative AI in a non-technical situation. So it's that, for me, it was a visceral experience having it's experiential, right? We can talk about the concept of generative AI, but it's not until I feel you use it that you really understand, oh my gosh, it created a marketing brief for me, or it wrote like points for my paper. And it's not like the human being doesn't then have to take that and turn it into something that's useful, but there are some productivity tasks that can really be made useful. So I would say in general, there needs to be some sort of decision that we are going down this path, we are embracing it. And whether that's true or not may have a lot to do with where someone falls in the adoption curve. So is your leadership innovators and early adopters? Or are they part of the late majority or like who are going to say, this is never going anywhere and the internet and the email didn't happen. So <laughs> there are people that are slow to adopt and they have their reasons and it is what it is. So depending on your outlook on where we are and where we're going, those of us who are innovators and early adopters have jumped in, we played with it. So I would say, I would talk to the CHRO, I would figure out how is this changing the nature of work? How can we give our employees an experience of this? And having some sort of guidance or training just to get that experiential knowledge or wisdom, that visceral feeling of, okay, there is a there there, all these like people talking about it. And so maybe everybody has an account. And I would say those of us in technology probably have an easier time with some of this because we're used to when some of the social networks first came out, we jumped on and we didn't know how to use it either. But the cohort of people that jumped on co-created how it's used. So I think it's really important in the workplace to decide that you're going to do this and then have trainings like webinars, explain to people like, okay, how can you use barter, chat, GPT, plan a vacation, or do something that, and then have people experience that. And then I think part of it is, in terms of employees, how can it really help them in their work? So maybe it's productivity. I know firms like Corn Ferry are using it to do personalized job searches and job matching. They're looking at for performance management and rewards. Companies like Salesforce are creating a talent marketplace for current employees to match them with open roles and learning. So I think there's ways to start to really incorporate it into the employee experience. I would also say that we're also in a time where if you look at like Gallup or McKenzie, some of their most recent studies, they started to look at employee attitudes. And I think they said maybe 77% of employees are not engaged. So 23% are. So when you start to look at that and you start to look at the lack of engagement, and then you start to think about 
AI could be scary if people don't really understand it, that might make them even more afraid and more distant from their job and less engaged. So having some sort of education, some sort of stance on here's how we're going to approach the future together is really important because those statistics don't really incorporate attitudes towards AI. And in many cases, and in some cases, jobs will be changed a lot. And in some cases, they're going to be eliminated. So if a job is, and this takes the executive level to think about this and the whole HR group to start to think about roles, responsibilities, and what's the application of AI and generative AI to those roles and responsibilities, all the way down from the CEO, all the way to a frontline employee, even like on a factory floor, robotics, and then figuring out how is that going to change our workplace, roles, responsibilities, and then what do we need to do for workforce planning? So how do we prepare? How do we reskill, upskill the workforce? And then how do we bring in generative AI tools and capabilities that are really going to enhance that employee experience. So if you have a population of employees that's really not all that engaged, which if the statistics are true, if you're paying a dollar for every piece of salary and you're getting 23% engagement, there's a cost factor. What that says to me is there's a cultural aspect here. And I think part of what happened during the pandemic is it gave us a cause for pause And it allowed us to really think about work and life and what we really want. And as a result, we asked ourselves some really big questions. And we said, what do we want out of life? And so I think that we're in the midst of a zeitgeist where people are have a very different opinion and very different ideas about what they want from work. And so I think unless executives are really tuned into this, they might go into generative AI thinking everybody's on board when either they're fearful or they're resistant or they just don't really care. And so when you start to think about how can you turn that fear or resistance into possibility and excitement, it's those firms that are really looking at this employee equation from how do we take those natural emotions, which we tend to just discard in a, we just like say, get on the train, get on the bus, you don't get on the bus, it's going to leave without you. And there are some CEOs that would say the bus is going to run over you. right? (laughs) So I don't think we're at a place in time where we can just ignore employee feedback. I think we really have to understand that. And part of being able to get good feedback is creating a psychologically safe place where people can say, I'm scared, I'm frustrated, I don't understand, raise their hand, and be able to truly express those things, maybe have dissenting opinions. Because there are some people that are like, generative AI is the best thing since apple pie. And then other people are thinking, you know, this is like the end of the world. So, (laughs) And being able to be with all those different types of perspectives, understand it, again, going back to the empathy equation, is really starting to look at from that person's point of view, or this employee population's point of view, This is how they feel about that. And then how is we as leaders in a company going to start to respond to that and really begin to understand are the things like I know that there's a lot of tools around sales enablement. And I think some of them are really cool because the idea is to take 
all your salespeople and turn them into, have them have the same characteristics and capabilities as your top salespeople, which in concept is great, but we're almost turning professional salespeople into contact center agents because we're measuring the heck out of them. And then we're giving them constant feedback and have we prepared them to see this as the opportunity to really improve what they do, make more money, have bigger commissions, have a larger share of the deals in the marketplace, or does it feel like they're being spied upon? I mean, quite honestly, I was part of the days when ERP and CRM were implemented. And there are, like if you Google historical failed ERP and CRM, there's great articles around the hundreds of millions of dollars that were spent on projects like this that went upside down. I mean, there were many reasons. Part of it was the technology was limited, proprietary systems. We over-customized it and we couldn't maintain upgrades and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it had to do with organizational change and not really understanding and dealing with employee resistance. And so, I mean, I know I was on a site where we were ready to go live and somebody the night before going live poured a can of Coke into the server. It was really painful, but they just felt like this technology had destroyed their personal and professional life over the past year. And this was a way of saying, I don't really appreciate this. So what's fascinating to me is we're at that juxtaposition, that tipping point of really cool new stuff. And this really cool new stuff idea is not new, right? Every so often, like if you look at the last 100, 150 years over the progress of the Industrial Revolution, we keep hitting upon new eras of technology, exponential change. And at the same time, we really need to deal with the human element as part of that. What I'm really hoping, especially in co-authoring a book like Empathy in Action, is that we're starting to really recognize the value of incorporating those feelings and feedback into whether it's customer or employee experiences, and then into the development and the deployment of technology. Just brilliant. I mean, very important. And I think that's what we have been leading with. How do we build human-like interactions or human empathy into the experiences? It's possible, but I think there's a lot of process to it. And I think it'll take its own time to get there. We're seeing some benefits. But the more we are learning from customers, I think we'll also start implementing quite a bit of that. But Natalie, you have no clue how, how insightful this was. I've been reading the book. There's so many great pointers there. But just hearing from you, the explanation of a few things and how you feel about the future and what every business should be considering as a strategy is so well explained. And I think it's going to be amazing to our viewers just listening in. So on that note, Natalie, thank you so much for being here on Not Another Bot, the Generative AI show. We totally loved having you here and hope to speak to you again in the future. This has just been eye-opening in few regards. And as I said, music to the ears to just hear your point of view, being an expert in the field. So thanks for the opportunity to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. How impactful was that episode? Not Another Bot, the Generative AI show is brought to you by Yellow.ai. To find out more about Yellow.ai and how you can transform your business with AI-powered automation, visit Y-E-L-L-O-W.ai. And then make sure to search for The Generative AI Show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Yellow.ai, thank you for listening.